episode 14 of Transistor for September 23rd, 2012. Topics to include today, trans journey, a little bit about my nose, translation, the eyes have it, and transcendent, an interview with Cadence Matthews, a local transgendered woman who is also an aspiring singer and model. And we move on to transonic with your news, or not news, but information about the dentist from New Brunswick and transmissions. This is where we get the news, some nice and some not so nice. This is Transistor with your host, Velvet Steel. about trans folks for all you folks out there who want to listen learn and laugh trans journey the road to beauty the road to reality well mine was my nose I didn't know that my nose was going to be such a defining feature on my face and uh, yeah, turned out to be a real defining feature on my face, especially when I was a child and I fell down the stairs. Well, when you're a kid, you don't really necessarily know what's going to happen because you're still developing your bones and you're growing and doing all these things. And uh, when I was a child at around the age of four, well, I fell down the stairs where we were living in Ontario and pretty much smashed my face. And um, so there I was off to the hospital in the emergency ward, having all these doctors poke and prod me and do all these nasty things to my face as a child screaming my brains out. You know, I remember my mother saying that to me. And, uh, well, there wasn't really anything they could do at that time because they thought it looked good, but they were pretty sure that it was broken. They couldn't x-ray it because it hadn't properly developed yet. And I was left with a nice scar around the right side of my nostril that traveled up inside and one on the left side as well. That's since faded up. Well, when I hit puberty, that nose started to grow and it started to look ugly and it started to turn into a witchy poo nose. Ooh, it was just so ugly. I couldn't stand it and I couldn't figure out why me? Why did I get this nose? My brother and sisters, for all intensities, had beautiful noses. Their noses never ever had anything with that. I remember when my brother was in school and he was doing high jumping, the bar fell down and cracked him across the face on his nose. And that was a solid lead, huge bar that, you know, really, he could have probably broke his nose if that be the case. But all he ended up with a cute little scar across the top of it. But there was me with this big ass honker, kept, kept growing and growing and growing. Well, I didn't know what to do about that. And uh, when I look back on pictures on it, it was huge. So there I was, I had this bend outside. So you know, we're not talking about a concave nose. We're talking about a convex nose. So if any of you know about concave, convex, and you did your math in school and all these other different fun things, you'll know that it was not pretty. And then down towards the tip, I had a nice pointed big tip. I hated it. I couldn't stand it. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that I could go and get it fixed. So that's what I decided I was going to do. Go and get it fixed. Well, my first correction was with a doctor in Ontario, Dr. Masri. And he was really nice. But uh, he didn't fix the actual break itself, nor the tip of my nose, which I thought he had done. And all he had gone in and was fixed my deviated septum. And that was, ugh. If anybody's ever had nose surgeries out there, all of you who are listening, you can seriously relate to me because it hurts. It's not pleasant. You can't breathe through your nose for a week and you have stuffed cotton batting way up in there. And if you think that it's a small cavity that's up there behind your nose, guess again. You're going to probably have yards of that stuff when you actually have it removed. Not fun, Mm-mm. but the results, if you're getting it fixed cosmetically, are great. So there I was with all these bandages on my nose, on the train, on the way down to Windsor, Ontario to visit my mother who was full into cancer treatment. She had cervical cancer and um, it was really hard seeing her like that. And uh, I kind of, you know, showed up with bruises all over my face and this bandaged nose and these cotton balls to get out of the tip of my nose and sort of put that on the back burner so I could just deal with my mother who was going through her radiation treatment. And at one point there, she 
couldn't even get up. She couldn't even look at me. She couldn't even, she didn't even register who it was that came through to her because she was so sick and so emaciated by not eating, number one. Um, something that anybody, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going through cancer, make sure you eat properly. Get your body fueled up with what it needs to fight off that horrible disease. And uh, yeah, so taking care of mom, my nose didn't exist. It was one of the few times in my life that it didn't bother me. I didn't even worry about it. And uh, when I got back to Toronto and had everything taken off, only to find out that, well, no, you didn't do anything to my nose. It was just this big old dumbass honker yet again. So later on in life, I had moved to, um, well, Vancouver, where I'm at now. And I went and saw this one doctor who, uh, I don't know if I should say his name or not, but Dr. Carr had promised me that I was going to have this lovely, beautiful, wonderful nose and I was going to get it fixed cosmetically as well as get my deviated septum, which had once again deviated again, fixed properly. Well, I went through that surgery and that was uh, pretty intense because that was a back room surgery, quite literally, in his office. And I was on twilight drip. And anybody that's going to go through anything like that, I'm. if you like twilight drip, great, do it. I don't like necessarily being put under in general anesthetic because waking up from that shit, whoa, that's pretty hard-ass stuff. And depending on how your body is, you can have a serious reaction to that and it's not necessarily the most fun, I'll tell you that right now. So I opted for twilight drip, which is where they stick a little IV into your arm and you're getting all this Valium coursing through your veins. Oof, what an amazing high that was. I totally fucking love that shit. Trust me, I gotta say it. That's the only way I can describe it. And there I had these two jolly chubby nurses attending to my needs in this back room. It was kind of surreal getting my nose chiseled on. And yes, I could feel it being chiseled on. You know, there was a point there where I kind of came to, you know, lucidity and said, oh, are you chiseling now? You're sculpting my nose. And of course, first thing out of his mouth was, can you feel that? And I'm like, mm-hmm, but it doesn't hurt. Well, let's give her some more of this stuff. So anyway, back into La La Land I went. And when I woke up, I was uh, on my way home. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is really intense. Once again, here's that lovely feeling that I totally forgot about breathing through my mouth for a solid week, sucking on Tic Tacs. Yes, Tic Tacs became my best friend for a full week. And when I had the padding taken out and the bandages taken off and the cast taken off, it looked like it was going to be a nice nose. Well, unbeknownst to me, it turned out to be not a great nose because the bump was still there in the middle of my nose. He had certainly dealt with the tip of my nose and made it this really weird kind of, you know, very angular, sculpted kind of thing. And, um, okay, so we left it. And I was going to think, okay, fine. I didn't mind it. It was growing into something that I could deal with. Well, about four years ago, it started to collapse on the left side. And when I say collapse, I literally mean collapse. It caved in on itself. I was not happy about that. And when I did go back to see him, he shrugged it off. I mean, we want to talk about really terrible bedside manner. This was a doctor who I had given a lot of money to, and his attitude to me just, quite frankly, sucked. And, uh, you know, I'd already gone for breast augmentation with him, liposuction, abdominal liposuction, as well as my nose. And he was telling me that I had to fork over more money to fix this, but he couldn't make any guarantees. Well, what had happened, he carved out too much out of my nose on the inside there and told me that I was going to have to have a graft taken from my right side. Why it was my right ear, he decided that he was going to do that from, I don't know, and put it inside and create a new butterfly tip there on the tip of my nose, which is basically cartilage, and get my nose to fan and open back out. And that was going to cost me $3,500. You know what I said to that? Fuck you. There's no way I'm going to pay that money. So I went to my GP and complained to him, and he sent me off to see another guy. And this guy when I first walked through the door, I said, whoa, what's going on with you? And by this time, I hadn't realized that it was that bad. I could see that definitely there was something going on with my nostril collapsing. And yeah, it's a sore spot. It's right on the front of your face. What do people look at first when they see your face generally is your nose, whether it's a big honker or it's a small one, whatever. It's, it, it, it defines your face, let's be honest. And uh, so I went for pictures and he looked at the pictures and compared them. And when I looked at the pictures, not looking at my face in the mirror, there was clearly a problem. My nose had collapsed. It looked horrible. Well, I was immediately booked in for surgery. And that was a surgery that he had assured me was going to be two hours, only two hours. Well, it turned out to be seven. I remember going under and it was under general anesthetic. And I remember waking up. First thing I said was, wow, have I been under for that long? And the nurse calmly said, yes, you've been out for seven hours and he's been working on your nose that whole time through. 
this is a doctor who is so meticulous, Dr. Kenneth Dubeda, and I cannot say enough about this guy here in Vancouver. He is the bomb. But he'd also said to me, too, that I needed to be prepared that there could be a possibility that my nose will maybe start to recollapse again after he'd fully reconstructed it. Um, he was able to find some cartilage back into my nasal cavity that he could pull forward to recreate the tip of my nose, carve out the bump on the center part of my nose where the bone was, and actually build out the nostril. Well, lo and behold, a year later, my nose started to collapse again, and there I was, off for another surgery, a two-hour surgery this time, where he actually put in a cable that now sits attached, embedded into the cheekbone underneath my left eye, and attaches to the left nostril, pulling it open. And uh, if anybody's ever familiar with the term feather or thread lifting, well, it, they talk about that as being one of those things where you can get done in the doctor's office as an in-out patient. Uh, <laughs> I had her such a guess that because, ouch, that hurts like a shit motherfucker ass, whatever you want to say in there. It's it so painful. Picture yourself walking around with someone and a hot scalpel razor blade carving under your skin all that time. At any point, at any rate, um, it took me about six weeks to heal from that one. And uh, this time, thank God, I didn't have to worry about any padding up my nose. And I must say the results from that have held up immensely. I love Dr. Dubeda. Translation. The art of the past. The eyes have it. They certainly do. And uh, one of the things that I've always noticed and, well, see on a lot of different people is makeup. There is an art to putting on proper makeup when it comes to the eyes. And really, you want to get your eyes so that they look like they're pushing out from the center. You want them to come outward and upward. And I see a lot of this stuff with people who don't know how to put on makeup. They'll take one shade and they'll put it right across the upper eyelid and leave it at that. And that's good to go. Mm-mm. No, and especially if you're looking at someone who is, uh, you know, cross-dressers, transvestites, uh, anybody who's going through SRS and anything like that, and they want to do something different, and they want to make it work right, and they want to give their eye a very much more feminine appearance, well, they need to put something dark on the outside corner. Start off with a light shadow. Work it from the inside corner out to the outside corner. That's what I always suggest. And also, too, one thing in prep, Get on something that's going to work on like a silicone sort of sealant, glide over, and it's going to smooth out your skin around there. So when you put your foundation on, it's going to work really good. But move that makeup across the eye, light color from the inside corner out to a darker one around the outside corner, and then follow the line of the lower lid up. And that's going to dictate where you're going to take that shadow and bring it up into your under your brow bone and lift it up. And guys, keep your fingers away from your eyes because we know how you like to create a knuckle and rub it really good and tight and stretch that skin. Me banging around here getting all excited because I hate seeing that. I hate it when someone gets in there with their fingers and they're pulling on their eyes. It's like, oh, ow, doesn't that hurt? Well, don't do it. And then once you've got your shadows on, you've got everything else going on, get some eyelash curlers. They're a girl's best friend. They really, truly are. And you can get them heat ones or you can get non-heated with a nice rubber strip. And it's excellent. Just curl that lash on the outside corner. And whether you want to put on false eyelashes or not is entirely up to you. But I don't know too many guys that have really full lashes, to be honest with you. So go and get yourself some false ones. You can do a full strip all across the way, or you can cut it in half and do a strip on the outside corner of it. You can even get singles, and you can put them individually on the outside corner of the eye to bring that eyelash out and upward. And then when you're done, put on some mascara, and you should be good to go. And if you're really that creative with it and you know how to do it, get out the black pencil. Put it on the inside of the lower lid. It's really going to make your eyes shine. Transcendent. An interview with Cadence Matthews from here in Vancouver. She is a young, up and coming, well, transgendered woman who is also a singer, songwriter, and aspiring model. Listen in, you're going to like it. She's got a lot to say, and you've probably seen her on The Cupcake Girls. If you are a good boy, I'll give you a prize. Let me get it out, boy, cover your eyes We're peeking like a bad boy, cause it's a surprise I know you're craving it, but I'll be saving it 
I'm talking to the lovely Cadence Matthews. Now, I'm pronouncing that right, am I not, Cadence? It's Cadence, yeah. Cadence. Um, well, a bit about Cadence, if anybody, if you don't know, she's a local uh, hot girl here in Vancouver who's also um, in the SRS scene, shall we say, sexual reassignment surgery scene kind of thing. But she is a male to female like myself, and God, let me tell you, you'd never know. She's gorgeous, absolutely amazing. And uh, being that she's somewhat younger than me, you know, I'm only 29. <laughs> okay, let's get over that one really quickly. But anyway, um, so I, I, you know, I want to have a younger perspective on the show here. So she's graciously agreed to come on and answer some questions for you and uh, and for me. And just so you know, if anybody out there watched the show, The Cupcake Girls, you will see Cadence on there. She was pretty much, was that the first season you were on? It was, yeah, season one. And and how was that for you? Um, it was really fun. It was a little bit scary. I was just entering transition at the time that we filmed, so I was a little bit nervous. But I thought that it would be a good thing to do for the community. So right, I just went with it. I, I watched you on that, and you seemed really articulate. And you know, you were talking about all these different things, and your emotions, you know, came up pretty strongly. And, uh, I mean, the show is kind of, you know, it, it's fun, it's interesting and stuff like that. But, I mean, you've gone on from there and you're doing all kinds of other different things as well in life. And one of the things that struck me about you that really wanted me to ask you about you and coming on the show was that I had heard through the grapevine and then did my own homework that you have gone out and talked to parents of transgendered youth. Um, yes. What was what, that like and how did that come about? Um, the first sort of thing I did that was around those lines was I went to a gender-related conference in Seattle, I think it was, mm-hmm. and I was on a board that was consisted of trans youth of all different ages, where basically parents that had trans children came into the room and asked us questions about our transition and about how our experiences have been so far just get more perspective um, when it came to their own children. Um, After that, I I sort of got in touch with my old psychologist who had sort of helped me through the beginning stages of my own transition. And she had a bunch of parents who wanted to talk to me. after seeing a, I was on a spot on Global News called Transformation, mm-hmm. and um, in that I talked a little bit about how important I think it is for trans youth to have a positive role model, and right. um, some parents wanted me to talk to their kids, so I just kind of did a, like, go for coffee thing with um, some parents and their children. Wow. And, that's, that's really yeah, good. it's really interesting. Um, it's so great to see that there are parents of trans kids who are so young, but they just take the way their child feels at face value for what it is and are supportive of that. So I think that's amazing. Okay. A, a girlfriend of mine in Ontario, she has um, a little girl who is now living life as a little boy. And, uh, and I mean, I knew that she would be totally 100% uh, accepting of this and everything else because, I mean, well, she's one of my friends. Why wouldn't she be accepting? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but I know that her, um, her ex-partner there, the, the father of this child, is not so accepting and nor are the grandparents and pretty much everybody on his side of the family. I mean, so did, did you come up against any of that? Did anybody present a negative face to you or front to you? Like in my own experience? Well, th- well uh, that, but more so the kids and the, the youth that you were talking to. Did you experience any of that, or were they all really 100% supportive? Well, the people that I was meeting with were, I do have to say, they were mainly mothers right. who were on the supportive side of things. Um, not to say that men are never supportive, but <laughs> the um, <laughs> in a lot of cases, they... Um, yeah, part of their concern was that in a lot of cases, it was the parents were divorced and the father was not, um, mainly I met with male to female, um, transgender children. And, uh, I think a lot of the fathers were having a very hard time with that, which I mean, I, I also understand from my own experience. So 
That's but an yeah, in- I definitely saw a lot of that. Well, I mean, that is interesting in terms of a perspective, and I'd love to do some sort of study to find out exactly what that's all about. And I mean, you know, parents that are separated and the father is having a difficult time. Um, I just want to go back on something that you had talked about as well, your global um, segment there. I tried to find that, and it's really difficult to find. Did you um, did you have a positive outcome with that? Was it a very positive experience for you getting to be a part of that or do that for them? Um, yeah, I actually think that um, it was very... It, it just taught, I think, the general public more about trans people than they usually are taught by what is shown on television because mm-hmm. I know that for me growing up the only basically like the only concept I had of what it was to be transgendered was like the Jerry Springer show or right. Maury where they're like is it a boy or a girl and it's you know I I think that we're coming to sort of an age these days where it is becoming more talked about and if not more accepted then I think we're on the way there just because Right. People are learning more about it through the media, so it was nice to be a part of that too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, well, what what was life like for you growing up? What what was going on? Um, I mean, when I was very very young, I it took I think around three or four is when I started to. Uh, realized that something was wrong in terms of what expectations those around me, parents included, had of what I was supposed to want to play with mm. and how I should walk and how I should speak, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was I, told I'm acting out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was like six, my parents were called to the school and the teacher actually sat them down and said, your child has gender identity issues, which at the time, the only solution to that was basically like, explain to your child that they're a boy. So my parents basically, at that point, my dad basically took away all my Barbies and all my dress up and basically said, like, you're a boy and you're going to play with this and you're going to wear this. And um, from then onwards, it was a real struggle, I think, until about... 13 and high school and within that first year of high school I ended up going to school every day with like full makeup on and girl clothes and a purse and my dad would refuse to go in public with me or drive me to school and I would say well screw you I'm gonna walk to school it's really shitty um, but yeah it, it was hard but I mean he came around and Everything worked out for the best eventually. They, they they generally do. I mean, you know, and then they start to express unconditional love, which is really where it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to be all about. But unfortunately, parents don't always do that and express that, you know. Um, they always have a preconceived notion as to what you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be. So, I mean, you have some specific ages there that you talked to me about or tell me about that you knew something was different. Was there a time when you could actually say you knew consciously 100% that there was something different going on with you? Well, I actually told my dad when I was between six and seven, I remember specifically sitting him down and telling him, I don't want to be a boy. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want, I don't want to wear these things and I don't want to play with the same toys as my brother and I I want to be a girl. And he was just kind of like, well, that's not going to (laughs) happen. And and lo and behold, from what I'm seeing now, it's like, well, it did happen. So, well, I mean, you know, okay, so here we are with labels, right? Boy and girl and all these other different things like that. So, I mean, for inquiring minds and, you know, such as myself, I mean, you know, I consider myself to be a surgically corrected female and I always have thought of myself as female from day one when I could really think about it and understand what it was all about. 
and uh, and you know, of course, the boys and the girls, and we're told that we're con- we're conditioned at a young age that this is what we're supposed to be. If we're born with this set of genitals, um, that's what you're supposed to be, regardless of what's going on in your brain. I mean, and I'm you know following a lot of studies and things like that in regards to the transsexual brain, and um, individuals who have donated their body over to science afterwards, after they've gone through all their gender reassignment surgeries, they are finding that deep within the brain and the cortex and the subcortex and all these different things, there are elements that are identical to that of a genetically born female. Um, so what, what do you label yourself? Do you call yourself anything? Do you, you know, post-op transsexual, pre-op transsexual? Do you, or just, you're just Cadence Matthews? Um, I, I generally avoid labels, but when I do choose to use one, I would generally use the word transgender. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, I don't generally bring up like bottom surgery status because I think, because personally, I'm a happily pre or non-op transsexual. And right. I think that a lot of people have a very difficult time understanding how that could be. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that they make the assumption or whatever, certain assumptions come to their mind when they hear that. Whereas for me, it just, I've always known that I'm a girl and that has nothing to do with it in my head. Absolutely, so. absolutely. I, um, I I went and saw um, Nina Arsenault, her show when she was here in Vancouver. And um, I honestly didn't know that she hadn't opted for bottom surgery at all. And for all intents and purposes, she was 100% female as far as I was concerned. And uh, I like your term there, non-op. I, I think that's a great way to describe that and define yourself, and you know, and, and you know, use that term as you're embracing it as far as that goes. And I think really it's a matter of choice, isn't it, um, as to how you wish to address yourself, as to or how you wish to go further with your life. Um, what What are your thoughts? What do you think? Well, absolutely, I. I always felt that the term pre-op implies that you're in a stage before something mm-hmm. that you want or need to have happen. Right. And I can't, I can't read the future, and I change so much as the years go by that I don't know what I'm going to want 10 years from now, but I can say quite easily right now that that's not something that I focus on or that I think about or that is of any concern to me, really. So for me... Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think everybody approaches transition in a way that's unique to them. And that, um, unfortunately, even within the trans community, there are, so, like, I've been outwardly told that I'm not a girl by other trans people because they're post-op and I'm not. But it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it makes me so mad when I hear that kind of thing because I remember when I came back from England after my SRS surgery, and, uh, you know, feeling 100% real and, you know, feeling 100, 110% in terms of my attitude and my, you know, outlook on life and things like that. And I was even told by the gay community that I had no business coming into their bars anymore. And it was like, wow, how did, that, how did the three-week process suddenly say that at the end of that three weeks of coming back from England, I was suddenly not allowed in your bar. But walking around with penis, I was. That really bothered me. And, and I know what you're saying about all this because I just really think it's so ignorant and it pisses me off. But I mean, I, you know, I get a lot of cross-dressers and transvestites coming up to me and we all know what they're all about and how they tell me that they can relate to how I feel and all these other things. And I I have a mixed, (laughs) a mixed bag of emotions about that. And, you know, they really make me, um, they kind of make me angry about that. And I was like, you really don't know how I feel and you really can't relate to me. Do you get that? Um, I do. I have a lot of friends who are drag queens, mm-hmm. and I I do relate to... There was a time in my life when I was very, very confused about my gender and who and what I was supposed to be and where I lived this sort of double life where sometimes I was this person and sometimes I was that person, but it didn't last very long because I... I realized that, like, I was only ever happy one way. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, I, I really don't even think that when it comes to, like, a drag queen, a cross-dresser, a transvestite, whatever, I don't even think that they feel that way because for them the whole thing is just about, like, fun and entertainment mm-hmm. or perhaps about, like, a fetishization of a particular gender or whatever. It's- but 
Um, I, yeah, I do. I get that. And I also get, um, even when it's the sexual women, like naturally born women uh-huh. will be trying to convince me of how, oh, we're same like this and that. And it's like, in my head, that's almost just as offensive because it's like my <laughs> experience is totally different from yeah. yours. It's, like, it's, it's very different. Um, I mean, you must get, um, having seen you grow and change and everything else, I mean, you must get a lot of, let's, for all intents and purposes, say this biological females jealous of you. Do you get a lot of that? I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course you do. Um, I can tell. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I think it's, I can understand where it comes from, because in their mind, that shouldn't be allowed, no. I guess. Yeah. But they should have to feel jealous of somebody in my position. But um, live and let live, their... you know. <laughs> yeah. So I always think. So I mean, was it? I mean, when you made the decision to be happy and everything else, what was going on in your life at the time? Um, um I was actually in college. I was studying musical theater, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was in my second year and I told my mom in the car. Wow. I just like, I absolutely couldn't take it anymore. And she was driving me. Actually, we had just been at, I think, Morris or something, getting me a suit for some kind of performance. And I just cried in the car and I was like, I don't want to wear a suit. I had to wear a suit to grab. I had to wear a suit to this. I had to wear a suit to that. And I don't ever want to wear one again because this is not who I am and I'm not happy, mm. essentially. And, I mean, her initial reaction was not the best. Mm. At which point I kind of, um, I think I went, I went through a very brief period of time after that where I sort of backtracked on myself and second-guessed the decision that I'd made to move forward with my life. Mm. And was like, no, 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 no. And then a few months after that sort of, I came out of that in my head. I wrote both my parents a letter and I basically said to them, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And if you don't want to be a part of it, I'm going to be a part of my life anymore. And, uh, I I need a bunch of money (laughs) (laughs) to move on. Here we go. Oh my God. I mean, I mean, obviously it wasn't an easy decision. I can totally relate to you in regards to sending a letter because uh, that's exactly how I responded with my father. Cause I knew for all intents and purposes that he was going to hang up the phone on me because that's just his MO. Right. And, um, and I, you know, I sent him the letter and this, he reread that letter for two weeks solid. Didn't speak to me for almost three years afterwards. Right. But, um, and I still think he has the letter to be honest with you. I mean, he's since come around a lot, but, uh, you know, so I, I, I get how difficult it is in regards to family and friends, even my friends. I had friends rejecting me and saying some really nasty things to me. It's like, what, do you want to grow fucking tits? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? You know, like stupid stuff without even actually asking me or getting to my mind and knowing what was going on medically yeah. with me. But I mean, what, your family, your friends, any rejection? What happened? Um, my uncle on my dad's side and my grandparents on my dad's side, um, their initial reaction was that, like, I no longer existed as part of the family. Wow. Um, they, uh, my uncle told my dad that he should take me hunting to try and fix me. Actually- <laughs> oh, so putting a gun in your hands was going to solve all of well, that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> Killing an innocent <laughs> animal. Oh, that's going to make me more male. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I actually... I made a YouTube video about him saying that in which I said something about how the only way that I would go hunting was to kill a deer and make some fabulous gown out of its pelt. (laughs) Gaga eats your heart out in her meat dress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Aside from them, uh, my family was generally very, very accepting. Um, My... My friends was interesting. I lost a lot of friends. Um, not so much because they were upset that I was transitioning, but I think that a lot of people felt 
that the person I was before I started and the person I started to become were two different people. Oh, hear you. Um, which I don't, I've never seen it that way. If anything, I feel like I was living a lie before where I couldn't act the way I wanted to and um, sort of speak my mind to the degree that I mm-hmm. do now. And if people, basically, if people were attached to a lie that I no wanted that I no longer right. wanted to um, perpetuate, then I mean, I ha- I had to sort of let those people go. But that's okay. Never easy, is it? Though I mean, I, I, and having seen you on Cupcake Girls, um, obviously that's not the only job you had. What about coworkers where you were working? What were they all about? What? Um, I was working at Cupcakes. Yes, when I basically started, and I. I sat Heather and Lori down and said, you know, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to go forward with this. And they were just like, that makes so much sense. That's awesome. Like, we don't care at all. Like, they got really excited about it and were like, good for you. They were really great about it, actually. Um, I think that over the uh, sort of the production of the Cupcake Girls TV show, however, Mm -hmm. it's it turned into a a negative thing for me and I I kind of felt that me being on the journey I was on got a little bit borderline exploited. Right. Um there were just certain things I asked them not to say or even get into on T V which they assured me they wouldn't and then suddenly did. they do. They did. <laughs> Unfortunately, you don't have control over sometimes what the producers and the editors want to do and throw on TV. If they think they got something good on film there, they're going to throw it in there anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There there were times when I was doing my stuff that it was was like, really, you did that? Oh, my God. That's not what it's about. So, I mean, (laughs) well, (laughs) so do you think your journey's been a hard one or are you fortunate, do you think, um, you know, with where you're going? I think that, um, you know, I used to get so, there was a period of time in the first year of my transition where I would have a panic attack every time I left my house, Mm -hmm. thinking that everybody was staring at me and I couldn't go out in public. Um, And I used to really focus on the negative. Um, I think when I hurt, when I hit a certain point physically, transition-wise, I felt so much better that that got a lot easier for me. Um, I think it's definitely not an easy path for anybody who goes no. down. But um, relatively speaking, I know that there are people who start transition much further on in life than I did, um, who have less of a convenient physical base off of which to yeah. move forward than I did. Um Especially financially speaking, I was very fortunate that um, I got a lot of assistance there, too, from family and otherwise. It's it's an expensive situation, that's certainly for sure. I mean, if anybody is, you know, considering and and they've been challenged with it for quite some time... It, you really need to consider your options and really think things out because if I add up all the figures for myself, it's probably close to $60,000 um, yeah. in regards to, you know, upkeep little things here and there and all this other stuff. And it doesn't come, you, you know, one thing that I always tell people is that uh, when you're going through puberty as a biological born female, um, that's a, you know, a process that can be anywhere from, well, six months up to five years. And then when someone decides that they're going to transition from, you know, a mature male into female, you want to get that done fast because you want to get on with your life. So that's going to cost a bit of chunk of change to get on with that and get going, you know. Um, And and today's show, aside from talking to you, is based sort of around uh, cosmetic procedures. Now, um, I'm talking about facial feminization. Have you done anything or what have, what have you done if you care to talk about that in regards to facial feminizing stuff? Yeah, that's fine. Um, about, I'd say like two and a half, three years ago, um, my parents very generously paid for the facial feminization that I've had so far. Um, 
I still have more things that I want to do, but at that point in time, I had my gin, my chin and my jawline shaved down. Mm-hmm. Um, I had buckle fat pad removal, which is like the fat in the lower cheek yeah. scraped out. I had um, a rhinoplasty, so a nose job, and then I had my lips done, and I had cheekbone implants. Put wow. In. Now, was this all done at once? So what was, was ten and a half hours of surgery? That you know what? Excuse my mouth here, but that's fucking intense. <laughs> um, you know, I I I remember when I had my nose fixed the first time with Doctor Debeda, who I absolutely love. He um, it was a seven hour surgery compared to a two hour surgery. What he said it should have been. So when I I remember going to sleep and I remember waking up in that operating room and I looked at the clock and my first thing out of my mouth was is that the time we've been in here for seven hours? And she's just, yep. And he's been working on it all along. So I can't imagine having all that done that you had done and then healing with that. Like, what was that like? The, the, oh my God. It was so effing terrible. It was like, um, I don't even know how to, it, it felt like I woke up and I'd been like run over by a train. Wow. Like my, um, they actually did all of this through the inside of my mouth. So there was an incision between my, basically between my lip and my teeth, like up in my gums, mm-hmm. all the way around the top from molar to molar and all the way on the bottom. And they went and like took all the facial muscles off my skull and held them there and then did whatever they had to do and then sewed it all back together. So, <laughs> oh, I'm wincing I, here, even though you're telling me this, and I've you know put my body through some things too, and that one is just over the top for me. Sorry, <laughs> like, wow. Was, so, I I basically could not move the muscles of my mouth properly for at least a month and a half. Um, my, I mean, you've had your nose done, mm-hmm. so you know that's no walk in the park either. Oh. It, um. Just the not being able to breathe through my nose for a week was the worst part for me because my my lips were so dry from breathing through my mouth that they were like peeling. Um, my eyes swelled shut from the cheekbone implants, like completely shut. Um, wow. Yeah, I I basically couldn't eat solid foods or talk properly for see, I could see your eyes swelling shut from something like that now my eyes swelled shut from using the laser on the bottom parts of my eyelids to get rid of dark circles <laughs> and there my eyes reacted to that and poof I couldn't see for two days but I mean I don't know why they did that but I could see your eyes you know swelling up and closing up as a result of that that's wow yeah. wow well and it's it's funny because I thought at that point in time Nothing could ever be worse than this. Like, this is the worst that it's ever going to be. But, um, when was this? In April, not this last April, but the one before, mm-hmm. I went in to have, basically, they liposuction the fat out of my waist and my lower back and grafted it into my hips. Oh. And that. I had butt implants put in at this point in time, which pretty much almost killed me. Like, I had a raging staph infection for pretty much a year before oh. we took them out. Um, so I was on every antibiotic known to man, and I was constantly, like, leaking horrible substances from drainage holes in the side of my leg, and I couldn't leave the house, and I couldn't work, and... That was sort of my lesson, and if it's not really, really important to you, then don't do it. Exactly. So you had you had the you had the butt implants in and then removed again, so they're not in anymore. Yeah, I I've had them both removed at this point, and I. Well, um, honestly and truthfully, I, I can't see why you'd have them because, uh, honey, I've seen that booty of yours; it's pretty damn good. <laughs> so you know thinking about that i mean but you're absolutely right i mean this is it's not a journey that uh you know you need to think about for a day you need to think about it for a while before you do it i mean well, you know i mean it sounds like you've got things going on good i mean and you know we're getting close to the time here that i gotta let you go but i i just want to ask you so is there somebody in your life now or you 
living? I do. Um, I, I actually live with my boyfriend. His name is Franco. Oh, he awesome. is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, he's great. He's very supportive and very sweet. And he's really the only man that I've ever been with who has never had, like, a single issue with the fact that I am transgender in terms of, like, his friends and his family and what other people think of him. It's a total non-issue for him, which yeah, is different than anything I've ever experienced. Same so. with my guy. Well, even the, the guys that I've been with, I've only been with two long-term relationships. And the second one that I'm in right now, the fast first made it very clear. Family needs to know. I don't want to be sitting around the dinner table and suddenly the awkward question comes up, you know? No, exactly. Um, so, yeah. yeah, he's been pretty good with that. And I'm really happy about that, too. So, I mean, I just I want your thoughts on, you know, say, Jenna Talakova, for example, and Candace Kane. And, and I'm sure you've done your homework on other individuals out there that have uh, been sort of in the forefront and making their way in the media, what do you think? Um, I actually sell Jenna Telecobra her hair, believe it or not. Um, she is she's gotta be like the the sweetest, most gracious girl ever. Um I think that um all this talk of her sort of using being transgender to try and get attention is like so heinous. You read that too, Day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I had to respond. You know, I couldn't he, keep my mouth shut. <laughs> she's a beautiful girl. She has every right to enter a beauty pageant if that's what she wants to do. And if they're going to try and kick her out for being different than the other girls, then good for her for doing something about it is the way I see it. Absolutely. Uh, Candace Kane has been a long-term role model of mine. I think she's... Very talented and very beautiful and very, very classy. So I love her. Um, yeah, I think it's great that there's more and more transgendered people coming out into the media these days who are positive role models and who are doing things that are important. I, 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 I so love it and I love reading about our history you know and one of the things that I'm kind of you know drawn to as well is reading about the stuff that they went through in terms of their surgeries and how a lot of them really were pioneers in some of these techniques that were being done and the fact that it was back room surgeries literally with a you know an overhead click light on top of them while they're getting these these yeah. intense surgeries done that we're now performed in operating rooms. So I uh, actually, I can say that I was, I've had a couple of intense ones done in my doctor's office, the one who screwed things up for me. But, uh, you know, it's like, okay, why are we doing this in an operating room? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I didn't think nothing of it. I mean, it's not the first that I'm hearing stuff like, you know, I get a lot of people calling up too about stuff that they've gone through. So I think, you know, a lot of transsexual women out there are actually forerunners in the cosmetic the world, you know? Um, so what's the future hold for you? Tell us. What, what are you going to do? What do you, what's up next? Um, I'm currently working on... Um, I've been taking a break from sort of like going out and doing that whole side of things because I'm, uh, I've always been a very creative performer kind of person. So I'm currently working on... Um, an album, which I have no idea when it will be ready, but <laughs> that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. Um, I did some acting work recently, so I'm, I'm hypothetically thinking about pursuing a little bit more of that, but no set plans yet. I think you should. So where, if someone wants to see a little bit more about you, do you have a YouTube address that we can send people to to have a little peek at? I sure do. It's um, youtube.com forward slash cadence, C-A-D-E-N-C-E, caliber, C-A-L-I-B-E-R. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to certainly direct people to that and hopefully that they're going to give you some lovely, wonderful, positive comments, not the negative ones. And uh, I'm... <laughs> I want you to listen in and, you know, we'll, you'll be up and running on our show today. So I really appreciate this and I look forward to future chats in and about town, not on podcast or radio. <laughs> yeah, great. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome, sweetheart. And I really appreciate this talk and have yourself a great day. You too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Trans Sonic. My life as a dominatrix 
professional and personal. And here I'm sharing with you some stuff that maybe I shouldn't, but I've decided I'm going to. So too bad. One of the ones that I had a really good time with, um, really learning curve, super huge, was the dentist from New Brunswick. Um, Let's put it this way. There are things that you only read about and you've heard about. And I know that people have read about these and heard about these things. Autoerotic asphyxiation. Do you know what that is? Do you wonder what that is? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's basically at the point of orgasm, the air is restricted and cut off to the lungs, so you have no oxygen coming to your brain. And at the point of orgasm happening, you let it happen where you do get oxygen to your brain and you can breathe it in. It even heightens it that much more. Well, in my greener days, shall we say, of knowing things and maybe not knowing things, I didn't know exactly how to approach that or how to do with it let alone deal with it. So when it came across my path, I made it very clear uh, that uh, I was new to this. And after I was introduced to him, I realized that we had a chemical energy. We were really, really good, uh, really, really fun, having a great old time, and, um, and basically made it very clear to him that I need to be coached along this road here because, well, I didn't want to end up with somebody dead on my living room floor or anything like that. So here we were. We were getting right down to it. Now, let me remind you that uh, this is a guy who was a serious player in this realm. He knew what he was up to. I mean, the fact that he had four body bags one latex, two of them leather, and the other one was this weird kind of polyvinyl kind of thing. I don't exactly know what it was. But the one that he was, we were, well, we were using at the time, he had brought it into town to fix up in Toronto at Northbound Leather, and it was made for him, complete with a clear plate to see through. So I could see his face. Well, the fact that the zipper didn't work, it wasn't going to be put around him and he wasn't going to be cocooned inside this thing. He had the great idea that we were going to put it over his head and I was going to put a belt around it and I was going to sit on the floor and I was going to constrict that really nice and tight. Well, there I was sitting on the floor all geared up with my stockings and garters and high heels and corset and makeup for days and hair for days, tits for days, the whole thing. And there he was, laying on the floor between my legs with his shoulders underneath my feet, underneath my soles. I've got this belt while he's got this body bag, leather body bag, over top of his head, constricting around his neck. I had opted not to see his face through the plastic, well, I guess peep show or peep hole or whatever you want to call it, peep plaque. Um... Because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't want to see what was going to happen, if that was going to be the case. Anyway, there I was, while he's laying there, buck naked on the floor, having a good old wank, you know? We want to talk about someone who was feverishly at that. Well, you know, if we could say that he was going 100 miles an hour, well, he was going 1,000 miles an hour. I've never seen a hand move so fast up and down the shaft of that cock. Yes, he was jerking himself off while I'm yanking good and hard on that belt. And, uh, you know, he had said at the right time he's going to put his hand up and to release and let oxygen flow back down his mouth, up his nostrils, into his lungs, and it was going to be woof. Well, I'll be honest, I'd never seen someone come so hard in my life. I didn't know what to expect. But what even got weirder was when the body bag came off, the belt came off, and uh, there I was looking at his face. I'd burst pretty much every blood vessel in his eyeballs, His lips had turned blue, and uh, he was starting to get a little bit purpley around the nose because he had, you know, broken some more blood vessels there too. And all he said to me was, well, that was one of the best sessions I'd ever had. Best session you ever had? Well, I was a little more than fucking freaked out, if you want my honest opinion, because I'd never done this before. And he gently reminded me that things like this do happen every now and then. He's done it to himself. Done it to yourself? How do you do that to yourself? Well, he did, and he does, and I don't know where he's at these days, but we ended up having a pretty good relationship for a number of years with his body bags and me growing and learning so much more about autoerotic asphyxiation. Transonic. News from around the world. Some good some not so good. Some fun. Well, you be the one to decide here. First one I want to start off with here. Miss Universe. Well, we all know the controversy that's been going on around that these days. 
And, uh, well, our own lovely Jenna Talakova here. So it seems to have spread Mr. Trump's, you know, pageantry. So anyway, Miss Universe contestants will have to accept transgender contestants and throughout the world. Every contest that is a part of Trump thing now. So here we go. Contestants in the Miss Universe Singapore 2012 beauty pageant give contrasting views on transgender women competing for the crown next year, which has already happened. Prompted by the controversy of Jenna Talakova, a trans woman who was barred and then finally accepted into a beauty pageant in Canada, all regions of Donald Trump's Miss Universe empire will have to welcome transgender contestants in 2013 when they do the Miss World. So Singapore asked the beauty pageant finalists if trans women should be allowed to compete. Two contestants, marine trader Michelle Key and environment campaigner Jody Louis, agreed that trans women should be allowed in beauty pageants. It would be a good step forward for Singapore, Key said, adding that it would contribute to a more open-minded and caring society. It would be fun, said Lou. It would provide a new perspective on how beauty pageants are run and how the competition would go. However, another contestant, Lynn Tan, said, I believe that when transgenders take part in a beauty pageant, it devalues the inherent uniqueness of women. Huh. Despite Tan's objection, Miss Singapore will have to accept transgender contestants from next year because it is part of Donald Trump's Miss Universe operation. Organizers of the Miss Universe Singapore, Daryl Stepenny Promotions, told Yahoo Singapore that they are waiting for specific guidelines from the Miss Universe head office, a spokesperson said. I don't know if there will be any in Singapore who are interested in participating. It would be interesting to see, as we're still waiting on the specifics of the guidelines. I would assume they, transgender women, would still have to go through the normal strict selection progress that we have. Miss Universe Singapore 2012 competition was held on September the 9th. Director Lana Wachowski brother comes out as trans woman now if any of you know this about the matrix series well listen in lana wachowski famed for directing the matrix series and brother andy has come out as a transgender woman in a promotional video for her new movie formerly known as larry the filmmaker appeared wearing a dress with purple shoulder length dreadlocks to introduce the trailer for cloud atlas hi i'm lana said the 47 year old who the new york post claimed has been transitioning for years Based on the best-selling novel of the same name, Cloud Atlas tells the story of how the actions of individual lives impact one another in the past, present, and future. It stars Tom Hanks and Halle Berry, reportedly swap identities and gender in the film. Here's Lana Wachowski explaining why she went public in a New Yorker article in an interview from ExtraOnline.com. Hi there, Nicholas Casimir with Canada's Gay and Lesbian News. Um, I love the profile in the New Yorker. It was fantastic chronicling this film. And I'm curious because the article brings up the fact that the Roshowskis were brought up as boys. I, wanted to, I was just wondering why you felt it was time to address this transformation. Um, was it important, Lana? Or, or did, would you, because you were silent before this until this wonderful piece. <laughs> oh, you knew it was coming. <laughs> Tom Hanks will translate. <laughs> Yeah, I I, uh, I did feel some responsibility to GLBT people, and a lot of people have been asking me to be more public. But we had sort of we love anonymity, we love our privacy. We don't really think celebrity does much to improve your life. We think it actually worsens <laughs> your life. So it was a big decision, so it took a long time, took a lot of years, and uh, this movie, and the fact that we had this new sibling who loves to do press, <laughs> we can't do enough press. <laughs> Our media whore brother over there. I'm and we were a media whore. <laughs> and you can quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> So we, um, we were trying to reconcile like, how we were going to balance like, our no press and his all press. And we kind of came up with this, middle of the road. And it sort of did a lot of things then. And all the power to her. And by the way, Cloud Atlas. You can look it up under trailers on iTunes or on YouTube. And it looks like it's going to be a really good movie. One that I want to see. 
And finally, transgender community in Pakistan protests against US drone strikes. See, transgendered people can do a lot of different things. Recent USA drone strikes in Pakistan galvanized the transgender community to join political and faith groups protesting against such actions. The Express Tribute reported that dozens of transgender women held a rally and demonstrated against the drone strikes in the city of Sukur, central Pakistan. There have been several protests by political and faith groups, and on Monday, July the 30th, the transgender community in Sukur joined the anti-drone protests. According to the protesters, the drone strikes escalate the violence and are harmful and therefore counterproductive. The transgender community protest was led by Sanam Fakir, who is reported as heading a local welfare trust. Fakir criticized the drone strikes in Pakistan's tribal areas, stating that thousands of innocent men, women, and children have suffered from the merciless strikes rather than the USA's alleged terrorists. She said that the drone strikes are responsible for the deaths of innocent people and are therefore greater acts of terrorism. Fakir rhetorically asked how would the USA target terrorists shielding themselves as in a full school of children without endangering anyone. Speaking with Gay Star News, Nuas Manto, a Pakistani writer and leading LGBT activist, said he supported the transgender community of Sukur. Drone technology, at least as long as it solely remains in the hands of the foreign power, will be unpopular and opposed, he said. Not only because it is not so precise targeting that it claims to be otherwise, but also because 14 civilians are going to be killed for every one terrorist. Who would you have a drone attack? Your own government or foreign powers? Listening to Transistor with your host, Velvet Steel. Send us your comments and suggestions by clicking on the voicemail tab located on OutLoudShows.com or use the form located on the show page. <laughs> 